All right. Welcome, everyone, to BNT Talk Sports. I'm Tyler. I'm here with Ben, and we're also joined by Jay, BNT and Jay today. We're here with Jackson Payne. What's up, Jackson? How are you? Dude, I like that. BT and Jay? That's that's a squad right there. What's up, guys? BT and BNT and Jay. No, I like it. BT and Jay. Yeah, no, I like that. Close better. You got to put me at the end. I'm the new guy. Like, I can't just, like, infringe upon what you guys have already done, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. J and B, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, no, flows nicely, but uh, he's he's our local Virginian. Um, he's actually he's a student here at BYU as well. So, but he's repping the he's out there repping the the Commanders. We'll say the most politically correct term, even though it's a Redskins uh, sweatshirt. But he's out in the homeland of Virginia. Yeah. Um, you know, making us jealous out here in Provo, but uh, it's, it's all about the Commonwealth. You know, Commonwealth till you die. Right. <laughs> Only exactly. dude, the Commonwealth, the Commanders, the Commies were all about it. So, <laughs> um, so Holly, you, you're telling me you're off to you're on a you're going to go on a trip here pretty soon, right? Yeah, I fly out tomorrow morning, going to Jamaica for a week. Uh, wow. have, having the best finals week in the history of of BYU. Uh, wow! I wish uh, I wish I was uh, I was going out to Jamaica. Um, I, I'm assuming for vacation, not anything. Uh, yeah, no, just just going out for vacation. My brother just got home from his mission, so it's like the first time our family's all been together in a couple of years because nice. like him and I overlapped. So gotcha. just kind of our like Christmas getaway, heading yeah. out, uh, fleeing the country. So it'll be good. Oh, fun. There's no better no better way to do it than go uh, go to the sunny sunny bahama island caribbean area so some, uh, some tropical paradise never hurt anyone exactly exactly but uh jackson here is a writer for uh, byu sports in the daily universe so he's pretty well educated in not only sports but specific, but specifically byu sports so let's uh let's talk a little let's talk a little BYU basketball here um last time ben and i were potting we were about to watch the, uh, the BYU right Creighton cool. basketball game, and which I think that shocked so a lot of people. Lie, we kind of crapped on them. Oh, we did on the podcast like hard. Yeah, and and you should though. Like they just lost to UVU by fifteen at home. Like yeah. there should have been no reason for any sort of optimism going into Creighton. That's just like the BYU special is winning games that they're not supposed to at like the weirdest possible times. Yeah, you know? we'll get into it because that's a great point. Because I'm still not very optimistic. I like the win, but like I kind of am struggling to see why I should think they'll be consistent. Yeah, Jackson, give us some of your thoughts there. Okay, yeah. so obviously, yeah, BYU comes off. I'm not gonna say two home games because the South Dakota game wasn't. It was in Vivint, Rise in Salt Lake, but yeah, but I don't think South Dakota fans were packing Vivint or correct, Rise, correct. But... Um, so yeah, excuse me. So you have um, coming off two two losses. Uh, one is South Dakota, in which BYU kind of comes back, makes a run, but loses uh, off a last-second shot, uh, in which we miss, and then loses at home to UVU by 15, like you said. And then all of a sudden we come out, although Creighton was down their big guy, Kalkiner, uh, we were able to come out and get the win. And what should have been probably a – a bigger win than it was, but yeah, that's the weird part. But yeah, but then BYU almost chokes, last second shot. I don't know. Give us, give us some of your thoughts there, Jackson. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I had to write like the the game recap story uh, af- after the game, and which sucks because like I'm in Virginia, which is two hours ahead of Provo, and the game was an hour behind Provo. So I'm up three hours. I'm up to like 1 a.m. watching this game, which just, I mean, I didn't really like watch a ton of BYU basketball growing up because the tip-offs were always so late, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's always weird to like come home for Christmas and like have to deal with that because it's just, it's it's pretty brutal. But, brutal. you know, I, I was trying to like write this game story after and I was just so like stumped. Like, how do you like articulate what just happened? Like that was one of the wackiest, like, you know, at, at the beginning of the game, it was like kind of neck and neck, like, it was just like that. It felt like a home run derby. Like everyone's just like shooting threes. It was just church ball. Like everyone was just shooting threes, like five seconds into each possession. And yeah. it was like fun. But then BYU pulls ahead. Um, BYU's defense just takes over. Creighton doesn't score for seven minutes. But then BYU plays probably the worst three minutes of basketball we've ever seen in our lives. Like yeah. <laughs> they turn it over like six times in the last three minutes. On so- I mean, it, 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 it looks like. It, it looked like they had never played basketball before. It looked like they had never dealt with a press before. It looked like they never passed a basketball before. Like everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And then down hall, just like, I mean, we could talk more about down hall later, but like he misses every shot during the game. But if it's like minute to go, yeah, if there's a minute to go. If it's like, it's crunch time. Like he turns in a freaking fourth quarter, Tom Brady. Like he just like puts the game away. So just re- really strange game, but at the same time, like you don't really expect a ton from this BYU team and games like this, especially like after you lose to UVU, like you don't, you don't think there's any way BYU is going to compete. There's, there's no way that they're going to make this interesting. And then they do. And it's just, it's, it's, I, I kind of like what you said. Like it's, it's, you can't really get optimistic because so much went wrong, but yeah. if you're the team and you're as young as they are and you haven't like really meshed together yet. You haven't like hit that full fluidity. It's one of those things like you, it's, it's a really great stepping stone opportunity to get to that next level. And like, honestly, nobody cares what you do until you get to conference play. Like this is a great win to have before then, but like if they can get everything figured out before WCC play starts, I mean, I'm not going to say this team is dangerous, but like this team isn't bad, right? Like yeah. there's, there's opportunity there. So it's, just really, really strange game. Um, a lot of things to like. Turnovers still destroy this team. I think they had twenty or twenty-two turnovers. Like they, just a, a lot needs to change still. But like you got to be happy with at least how they finished. I mean, they, they had every reason to like piss that game away for like a better term because they almost they pretty much did. But they they got the win and they kind of escaped. Like I, I hope they see it as a stepping stone and kind of like something something to build upon rather than just like oh wow we just played a crazy game like we just played that chiefs uh rams monday night football game in 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 2018 like we just played the craziest game ever but now nothing will ever come of it right yeah no exactly i think well you said like the final i'm pretty sure it was the final three and a half minutes there were six turnovers i think they went before the ceiling free throws at the end to make it like 83 83? 93? It was 83? 83 80 was the final. 83 80. Okay, 83 yeah. 80. Yeah, like besides those two free throws, it was we were like one for five from the line, six turnovers. And I think like until that Dallin Hall shot from the three and a half minute point on, we were up 11. We didn't attempt a shot. 
until I, that Dallin Hall. I don't even think we had crossed half court until Waterman got fouled. And then he shot two free throws. That's the only time we crossed half court. Yeah, it was insane. It was, it, it was BYU LSU all over again. No, no one crosses the fifty, yeah. right? Honestly, yeah, it was yeah. a twelve zero Creighton run from three and a half minutes on, with six BYU turnovers. Like, just I've never seen anything like it. Just it was, it was a collapse of epic proportions. And yes, and they won somehow. And they and they won somehow. Like that is the most. Trying to think of like that that feels like a very Tom Brady-ish game. I know I already brought him up once with Dallin Hall, but like Tom Brady is the type of dude to win a game like that where everything goes wrong and he low-key gets bailed out at the end. And I'm 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 not a Tom Brady hater. I'm just saying like that just seems to be the case always. Like Tom Brady always gets the call. Something always like it always just goes his way. Yeah. And even like against all odds. And that's kind of what we saw in this game. Like <laughs> BYU should have lost that game. I am shocked that they won. I was pretty much, I was already writing as if they had lost to trying to get a jump start on my story. Yeah. But Dallin Hall exists and has the biggest balls I've ever seen. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say Dallin Hall's because he obviously has that game winning shot early in the season against Missouri State. Similar spot, right? Uh, dribbles ball up the right side, little like 12 footish floater. Has that same shot, misses it. Like it's oh, it the, put, the put back. It's the put back. That was one thing. There's a couple positives I think we can drag from this game. As horrendous as we finished, I think um, offensive rebounds. That's what won us the game against Creighton. I think it was like 19 to five. Yeah, offensive rebound. Um, just crazy with how small of a team we are. Yeah, bingo. It's just, bingo. Yeah, yeah. which is. Go, 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 go. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the reason why BYU will be in every game they play in, with the exception of a Gonzaga, is rebounding, which is just absurd because when you look at BYU's roster, you don't think like rebounding team. Because, you know, you got Foose, like Foose is a great double-double threat, yeah. but Foose is still only 6'6", but like his length just, he, he just gets rebounds. Like he's he's such a weird, like, I, I kind of think of Foose as like a... He's Charles, he's Charles Barkley, exactly. Yeah, he's like the six-six, weirdly shaped rebounding machine. You know, yeah. like I, I see Foose as kind of like this weird create a player on like two K, where you like <laughs> adjust the sliders weird, where like height is down but like width and like length is up. Like I don't know, just like he's yeah. Foose is kind of Foose is a whole other podcast even, but like yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you have a team that's as small as BYU is, that can rebound the way they do, especially on the offensive glass. That's something that's just cannot be understated, cannot be overstated, just how important that is. Yeah. And, and Creighton was the number one team in the country with defensive rebound percentage. So wow. BYU got 19 <laughs> offensive boards against the best defensive rebounding team in the country. That's just, I mean, obviously I, they're, they're, I forget his name, but their number one big was out. Yeah, uh, Kalkbrunner. Kalkbrunner, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've said. Like 7-1, seven, 7-2 seven, guy. Is there is there a whiter name for a whiter school than Creighton, by the way, Colkiner? Like, no, there is not. <laughs> but like, I mean, he he obviously would have made a slight difference in that game, but not a fourteen rebound difference, you know? Yeah, agreed. Let me. I'm gonna look up look up his name real quick because I don't want to. Kalk Brenner. Okay, I think yeah. Okay, Kalk Brenner. It's not Kalk. Yeah. Kalk Brenner. But yeah, uh, agreed. It's. 
Yeah, he, he makes a difference, but I think, yeah, obviously BYU offensive rebounding all year has been um, has been something that they've done really well at. So I thought that was a big positive. Uh, you take away probably the last couple minutes, Rudy Williams had his best game of the season. Uh, he showed that um, he, the way he played was what we were wanting and expecting when he first came. So does that switch finally turn on now? Going into uh, Western Oregon and Utah in conference play, uh, or does he go back to inconsistent Rudy? We can see, but at least there's at least we saw that he's capable of playing very well against a good team. Yeah. Um, that, so it's there. It's just can he do it consistently? And obviously, Foos is always a positive. He um, he was able to score and then draw doubles and then uh, got open shots. So. What what do you think, Jackson, moving forward? Yeah, we got we should be able to win against Western Oregon, D two team. <laughs> we got we got sure. Utah coming up and then we're going into conference play. St. Mary's is really good this year. Gonzaga obviously is good as always. Portland's sneaky. Portland is sneaky. Portland is sneaky, yep. San Francisco is always sneaky. Uh really yeah. good coach there. I think they're they're look they're they're kind of dropped. They're kind of dropping. Portland's kind of taking yeah, that Todd Golden three four spot. At Florida now, which is huge for them. He's a great coach. Yeah, but but what, still, yeah, exactly. There, yeah, yeah. There's different teams in the mix now in the WCC. Uh, what, what are you kind of your thoughts going into conference play, going and and against Utah coming up for BYU basketball? Sure, yeah, I mean, Ru- Rudy was such a big difference maker in that Creighton game. He had his best game as a Cougar, twenty six points, and it's so interesting to me because. BYU just needs that go-to scorer, right? Just feels like there's never like we never know who is the number one option. Um, I remember in the Idaho State game that was way too close. I was thinking, who on earth is going to take this shot at the end of the game? It was it was Spencer who ended up making the shot and, and getting the win. But I mean that that's such a r- weird thing for BYU to not know like who the go-to guy is because we've kind of been spoiled. We've had Alex Barcelo. We've had TJ Hawes, Tyler Hawes, Kyle Collinsworth. Like we've had, and then Jimmer, of course, we've had the guy that like everybody knows who's he's going to get the ball with the game on the line. And that's, that's kind of a dangerous thing for BYU. Not in that like teams will never know who to expect, but like BYU doesn't know who to expect. So if Rudy Williams could be that guy, that is such a, such a great asset for BYU to have. And the key for him getting involved in the scoring attack has been coming off the bench, which is so crazy to think like, a sixth man can have that much of an impact, you know? Um, but what I, I think the key going forward is Dallin Hall needs to be the starter at point guard and Rudy needs to be kind of like the Jordan Clarkson type sixth man, uh, just jacks up a bunch of shots, scores any way he can and plays like starter minutes, but kind of comes off the bench in, in different situations, different sets, because Rudy is just, I mean, Downs, we, we've seen Downs a, a pretty good defender so far at the college level. Um, he's, he's a great passer. I mean, he had five really nice assists and he's not turning the ball over as much as Rudy is, but he still like, hasn't really found a shot. I think he's shooting 34% from the field. He was mm-hmm. two for nine against Creighton, which obviously the, the second of those shots was the biggest one because it gave BYU the win, but you can't shoot two for nine and, and have continued success. Like you got to really bump that up. Right. But, and I think he shot two for 12 against UVU. So, yeah, I mean, he's just. When you watch Dallin Hall play, he 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 passes the eye test more than his stats would would suggest. I'd say, yeah. but he he can't keep shooting two for twelve. He can't keep shooting two for nine. He's got to find a more consistent 
shooting or scoring role. But I mean, at the same time, if he's going to keep missing shots, just make that extra pass. Like you're, he's clearly a great passer. Like that's the biggest part of his game is his playmaking. So stop clanking off the rim and, and giving the other team the ball. Like, look for that other last pass and and get, get points on the board. But Rudy coming off the bench, I think is going to be a big deal. I think the biggest thing, and I, and I wrote about it in my game stories for BYU to get as much run as they have with kind of their younger prospects on, on the roster. Cause you look at the Creighton game down the hall, had the game winner. He had five assists. Um, Jackson Robinson had 11 points. He had three threes. Atiki had some good minutes. He had some nice blocks. Foose had the double, double, Richie Saunders, the, the biggest sleeper on this BYU roster right now, had 10 points and six rebounds. Talking about that just ridiculous rebounding effort. Who would have yeah. thought Richie Saunders? I mean, when you watch Ricky, when you see Richie Saunders on the court, you don't think that dude could do anything, let alone grab six rebounds against a team like Creighton. Like yeah. he's just so yeah. unassuming looking, but that's that's the beauty of BYU basketball. It makes yeah. Piano rises unicycle and has a duck feeding business. He's yeah. ducks, you know. Yeah. And, and my dad said the first time he saw Richie Saunders, he said that Richie Saunders looks like he'd be in Hoosiers. Like the movie. <laughs> that's so true, though. Yeah, yeah. And that's no. like the most Hoosiers name ever, Richie Saunders. Like, yeah. that sounds like a you, second grader you knew back in the day. Like, yeah. And, and you see him, you see him as a player, and like you think of him, like you see him, and you're like, oh, that's just like the fly off screen shooter. But he's yeah. actually like the guy who does all the dirty work, like defense. Yeah. Uh, just playing good defense, like hustling, getting rebounds. Um, getting, I'd like, I'd like to see occasional bucket. Yeah, I'd like to see him and Dallin kind of like expand their scoring. Um, but it's good to see them impact the game in other ways right now. Oh, for sure. And, you know, like obviously Rudy's 26 points were so huge, so crucial. But BYU doesn't win the game without their younger players like for Dallin, sure. like Richie, Jackson Robinson, Foose. And so for Dallin and Richie, especially coming off missions, being true freshmen, it is so important for them to just get as many. Because before the season, kind of the thought was like, okay, you're not going to win the WCC. You're probably not a tournament team unless everything goes right. The best thing you can do this year is get your young core ready for the Big 12. Get them as much experience as possible. Get the mission rust off. Put them in situations and and, in scenarios where they can succeed and they can grow and develop. And that's exactly what they've done. And they're doing it against really good teams like Creighton in meaningful games and winning meaningful, meaningful games. So to have, to have younger guys play such meaningful minutes and win the game and get all the contributions that you do from, from your young core, that is the best case scenario. And that's something that will be oh so valuable in conference play. And so the key is going to be those younger players. I mean, I, I think kind of to recap, the key is going to be Rudy Williams getting him the consist, making him the number one scorer, however it is, whether he remains the starting point guard or whether you keep bringing him off the bench, make him make it well known that he is the established number one scorer and then get as much as you can out of those younger players like Dallin, like Richie, because I mean, their ceiling is so high and you're not going to tap into the full ceiling this year, but boy, like if you could get what you got against Creighton, maybe a little bit better shooting from Dallin, but at least Richie, like, I would take Richie's performance against Creighton against any team in conference play. And I would take Foose's performance. I would take Dallin minus his shooting line. And that's, those are some nice WCC players. Like those are teams, those are players that are, that are going to keep you in every game you're in. And for BYU just to be in games this year is a miracle. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing that stood out to me at the 
because you were talking about like the unclear like guy. I remember towards the end of that UVU game when things were sort of like just falling away, like things were just kind of going to hell towards the end. And we just were desperately trying to find any sort of scoring. Like what we did every possession was just give the ball to Foose in the post. And like, I love Foose, but I'm like, man, we really don't have anyone that can just like create off the dribble. Like we just have to go to Foose in the post every time. So I think it was very promising to see some of these guys come out and uh, specifically guards and wings be able to score. Because I think we know what Foose can do. We've seen it. It was nice to see other people who we haven't seen much scoring from contribute. So, yeah, yeah. so hopefully going into conference play, there I still am always optimistic that BYU will make the tournament. Uh, it, it's hard with I, a couple. It's hard with these with these quad four losses, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's still a part of me that's like, what if we went out, <laughs> if we win the tournament? So, hey, the optimism is the most important thing any fan can have. So stick with it. You know? It's also the most dangerous thing, especially as a PYU fan, for my yeah. mental health. Yeah, my therapist gets a good gets a good works a good day of work in when when BYU sports. Um, hey, there is there is some reason to be optimistic because. When conference play starts, BYU will have Trevin Nell and they'll have Spencer Johnson too. I mean, True. those are two solid three-point shooters. Those are two veterans who can handle the press in a late-game situation. Like, I mean, have, who have seen a press? Who have seen a press? <laughs> yeah, or have played That's on teams that have yeah. beaten Gonzaga or been ranked at some point. Like, so those yeah. are two guys that you know Spencer Johnson isn't like the flashiest player. But he's just so important because he does everything. He can, Spencer Johnson can, think, can literally do everything, and then Trevin Nell has the potential to be just a flamethrower from from deep. So you look at like what BYU's team looks like this year, and I don't think Spencer and I don't think Trevin will be like number one scoring options. But just having like two reliable three point shooters, think about that UVU game. Like that might be a little bit of a different outcome if you have two guys taking threes so you don't have to go four for 26 from three like BYU probably shoots better than four for 26 from three if if Spencer and uh Trevin play so having two veteran three-point shooters out there and then like a really plus defender in Johnson that can't be over that can't be overstated so I mean that that, that's an intriguing like BYU could definitely slip into like conference play so weird like they, they 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 could be a three seed in the tournament for in the, in the conference tournament like they could they could be the th- number three team in the wcc will they it remains to be seen but i i like spencer and trevin coming back i think that's a really interesting uh kind of road forward yeah and and hopefully hopefully it pans out yeah so i guess but the only people that know that are sidekicks i guess because who knows would be why you right you lose <laughs> you drop one uvu at home then you beat a top 25 team in Creighton. So, uh, yeah, well, let's transition a little bit. BYU football, uh, BYU football, obviously, they have a bowl game, uh, not this Saturday, but the next – no, sorry, this Saturday. Excuse yeah, it me. is a Saturday. It is a Saturday. New Mexico Bowl against SMU. Obviously, a lot of changes have occurred. New defensive coordinator hire in Jay Hill out of Weber State. Um, but it seems like the biggest story right now for BYU football – is actually people who aren't players or coaches. It seems to be recruiting and transfers. And how, and how they are all going to Utah. And how a lot of these in-state in state or out-of-state, for all I yeah. know. But, yeah, it seems like a lot of players 
that have BYU ties ties or, or, or we're very seriously considering or, BYU. Yeah. Or considering BYU are yeah. not choosing BYU. Uh, and the quiet handful are going to Utah. Um, so, and then obviously recapping the BYU football season, you know, we're bowl eligible. Great. Okay. But I think it's fair to say that this was a disappointment, especially being preseason ranked for basically the first time in yeah. Almost ever. And returning like the most production in the country off a ten and two season. Yeah. There's um there's a lot we can go and we could go on forever about yeah. why this, this that's season. a whole other episode that we'll yeah. we'll have our therapist be on for sure <laughs> uh too. But what what is happening here with BYU? Let's let's ask you this, Jackson. Yeah, what what is what is happening? What is that's happening? That's the first question. <laughs> What's happening? Two, what are some things to look forward to? Um, you can maybe talk more about Jay Hill, maybe some coaches or new new guys coming in. And three, what's there to be – what do we need to be prepared for? So what's happening? What's to look forward to? What do we need to be prepared for? Kind of touch on those. You know, recruiting is such an interesting thing because, like, you could have the top-rated recruiting class and suck. I mean, we saw Texas A&M this year. I don't even think they're bowl eligible. No. Um, I think they won four games. They won five. They won oh, the fifth won against LSU. Yeah, okay. Hey, hey, they. I mean, if, if your program is just based on beating LSU, great. But it's yeah. not. Yeah. So, recruiting is just – Top five, I believe. Yeah, they're signed like that. Recruiting, it's interesting because all these recruits are going to Utah. Like, I'm going to be totally honest. Like, if I was a BYU recruit after this year, I would totally reconsider where I'm going. Especially on the defensive side of the ball, like you look at Smith Snowden. Obviously, he committed to he committed to Utah today. That was he's by far the number one prospect in the state of Utah. Yeah. Um, I I went to a lot. I covered a lot of Sky Ridge games for KSL. Like I got to see him. Dude is the real deal. Um, and that's a kid legacy BYU family. Um, his dad played there. He's from Utah Valley. Like he should go to BYU, but he's not going to like he's he's going to utah and utah has had a 12 year head start on being a power five program their program is in a much more secure place like they they just won the pac 12 back-to-back years they're going to -to back-to-back rose bowls um kyle whittingham is a top three coach in the country i mean i I think that's a safe thing you can say now Mm -hmm. um but like it i just you know, like, I, I don't think – it's disappointing that these recruits are cheering in Utah, but, like, we shouldn't be that surprised because, yeah, BYU is going to the Big 12, but they're also going to be possibly the doormat of the Big 12 upon entry. Like, it's not going to be – you're not going to compete in the Big 12 from year one. That's going to be a rebuild. And I think a lot of players are kind of turned off by that because you could go to Utah, be a college football playoff contender, go play in the Rose Bowl, or you could go to BYU and maybe make a bowl game next year, you know? And so also looking at what the defense did this year, just kind of the the turmoil. Like this was a really chaotic year at BYU. You got Dallin Holker leaving after like two games. Um, people every game are tweeting, trying to get the defensive coordinator fired. Gunnar Romney's kidney blew out. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how much more chaotic can you get when people are having free kidney injuries? With, so with like the tweets, with the tweets, we did win. It worked. Just to, just to clarify, you said the tweets. It did work. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make it that doesn't 
That doesn't make it less toxic. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, no, correct. It's 100 toxic. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a Tuiaki defender in any way because like he needed to go, and they knew that. And administration kind of pressured Kalani to the point where they were like, either you you fire him or we fire you. Like, I mean, oh, is that what happened? It was very cl- so. Yeah, yeah. Actually, give us some inside. We know, because we know give, you, us, give us some inside because, media. Because you can, you can hear that, like maybe we say that out of speculation, but it, it does have a little more weight when someone. Like All right, it. here's your inside scoop. So after the Arkansas game, when Arkansas dropped 52 on on BYU and Tuiaki dropped eight way too much, <laughs> and then doubled down afterward and was like, "Yeah, if I knew what they were gonna do, I would have dropped eight even more." It's like you idiot. What are you saying? <laughs> Just I, I don't care if that's what you would do. Just don't say that. Like, yes, yes. It was a PR nightmare. That it's is. like when you're with your wife, and I mean, I'm not married, but like, if you're with your wife and there's a really hot girl, you don't say that girl's attractive, even if it's true, <laughs> even if you think it's true. It's just gonna piss your wife off. If yeah. you know you're gonna drop eight, don't say it. Just play it cool. Be like, oh man, yeah, I wish we would have blitzed more. Like, that's all. You, anyway, I digress. Uh, no, uh, I. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, a perfect analogy. <laughs> yes. Now continue with your story. Okay, okay. So, so doubles down. Okay. Arkansas. So after the Arkansas game, Tuiaki kind of had a breakdown in the locker room. He tried to quit. Kalani made this speech about how everyone's – we're all going to get through this together. We're a family. Like, I'm never going to give up on you. Like, basically, like, told Tuiaki, like, you're not leaving. Like, that's – I'm keeping you here. So then Kalani, like – I think he just, like, if anything, like, Tuiaki's his boy, you know? Like, I mean, you're t- Tyler, you're not going to leave Ben hanging. Like, you're, you're not going to let him just get destroyed hey, out there. Ben's dropping eight, I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> but, like, t- Kalani's looking out for his guy, which, I mean, Kalani's a loyal dude. Like, that's – that's we, Admirable, respectable. It's, it's very admirable, you know? That's – it's something that's that's great. Is it going to win you football games? I don't know. It's not if Tuiaki's your D coordinator. So, he, he basically – he keeps – Tuiaki on staff, he, he talks him out of quitting. He puts him with the defensive line and he takes over the defense. But Homo was pissed. Homo was like, we need to make change. Like, this isn't good enough. So Homo made it pretty clear to Kalani that, like, it's it's a Big 12 offseason. There's still a lot of changes that need to be made. This program is way farther behind than it thought it was heading into a Power 5 conference. So Homo made it very clear, like, Kalani, you, you got to kind of lay down the hammer this off season. And they have, you know, like they got rid of Tuiaki. They made it pretty clear that Ed Lamb was going to be on the way out. Preston Hadley's out the door. The strength and conditioning staff's been, been, been let go. Harvey Unga was, I, I had heard that he was out of the program at running best coach, but apparently he's staying. Um, The whole defensive staff aside from Gennaro Guilford was let go, but it, it's just one of those things. Like it, it needs to happen. It's a necessary evil. Like you can't, have Elisa Tuiaki be your defensive coordinator in a Power 5 conference. You just can't. And thankfully, BYU realized that and they made the change. But clearly, I mean, look, BYU has lost out on some big-time local recruits to to Utah. I I mean, I get it. Utah's a a good program. Utah's fun to play. I mean, I'd be excited to play for Utah if I was a recruit, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I hate them as much as anybody, but... It's just it, it makes sense why why people would go there. And so I think at the same time, BYU still had a much better recruiting class this year than they've norm I mean, it's their best re- recruiting class ever. Yeah. So even with the the misses that they've had, they've still acquired a really good amount of talent. And so it's gonna take a while for BYU to be winning these in-state battles against the the Utahs of the world. And 
at, at the same time though, like the big 12 is going to be so great for BYU because BYU can finally stop recruiting on a bicycle. They don't have to recruit American fork. They don't have to recruit Provo high. They don't have to recruit or Tim view, I guess is more accurate. They don't have to recruit Brighton or Lone Peak or any of these schools. They can go and they can go recruit Texas, go recruit the Southeast. I mean, Coach Papinga in his press conference was talking about how he loved recruiting like the Georgia area, like Atlanta when he was at Virginia. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that would be so awesome because that's there's such a hotbed of talent there. So the Big 12 is going to be great because it's not going to restrict BYU's kind of recruiting niche, you know, like BYU can go and, and recruit other athletes from other parts of the country because Utah, there's a lot of talent in Utah. There's way more NFL players from Utah right now than you would think. But at the same time, like, I mean, I'll give a shout out to my buddy Tanner Wall. He's from the D.C. area, starts on punt return, kick return, kickoff on BYU football right now. But he's like the only BYU football player from our neck of the woods, which is crazy because look at the NFL right now. The NFL has a ton of talent from Virginia and from the D.C. area. Caleb Williams just won the Heisman. He's from D.C. Like, (laughs) there's so much talent here, and BYU's not tapping into it. But now you're adding coaches like Jay Hill, who are just phenomenal recruiters, or Kelly Papinga, who has that experience as an ACC recruiter, recruiting kind of high interest, high high potential areas. And so BYU is going to be recruiting areas that never has before. Just it's it's going to take a while. We just as as BYU fans, as as the BYU community, we need to just readjust our expectations here with with what this team is going to do in the Big Twelve immediately. But it, it should be exciting because yes, Utah's winning these recruiting battles right now the smith snowdens and the the spencer and logan fanos and the hunter Cleggs of the world they're all going to utah but in a few years it's not going to be the case i mean byu and utah are going to be neck and neck for these guys and byu is going to come out victorious on some of these battles so it's exciting we this this offseason should not be scaring anybody or discouraging anybody just we need to accept it for what it is it's a rebuild you're retooling the program and you're getting guys like Jay Hill and Kelly Papinga who are the perfect fits to do it. So that's, that's my filibuster on that subject. Yeah, no, I love that. I think the thing that stands out the most is the part of Tom Homo being like, like, this isn't going to fly. Like, yeah. or like, which I think was the biggest thing to me. Cause I was kind of sitting there being like, it seems like, cause for how long we saw the same results on the defensive end of the ball or defensive side of the ball, it was kind of like at some point, like during that Arkansas game, it was like, is this going to fly? Because there's no evidence it's not. <laughs> like we just keep doing the same thing and like there seemed to be no, no, like, because that was a big thing I feel like was everyone being frustrated with like a lack of accountability, like with coaches, players, et cetera. Um, and I think also, I don't know the exact uh, details or if it's official, but it seems like the financial investment in in Jay Hill was large and more on a power five, more of a power five coordinator type higher. I mean, I didn't even consider him a possibility because I just was like, I I don't think we can pull a head coach, even a head coach at FCS to come here, but like it was an A plus higher in my opinion. Um, Oh, for sure. I mean, I know, I think coach Hill is making about $260,000 a year at Weber and he's making a bit more than 1 million now. So yeah, I guess, that's I guess that'll make you leave a head coach. Oh, for sure. And now you look yeah. at like, the three. So, I mean, the BYU, like, I guess bag, BYU bag tracker. <laughs> uh, Kalani is the, the highest paid employee at BYU. 
then Mark Pope, then Jay Hill. Like there he's go. making he's making I think Jay if I'm gonna be totally honest, I think Jay Hill probably makes either about as much as or maybe a bit more than what Kalani made before he got this next big contract. Like he's getting that much. So BYU's finally starting to put some more not finally because they put money into athletics, but they're starting to be a little less frugal when it comes to these financial investments on the athletic side. And when you get a fifty million when you get a fifty dollar when you get a fifty million dollar check every year for your big twelve stipend, yeah, like you can do that. So Yeah, I think that kinda of helps that it was public knowledge that BYU had an influx of Big twelve money coming in, so Jay Hill had a lot to work with. He's like, Yeah, I'll do this, but uh, and who knows if he actually did that or not, you know, but um he definitely had some leverage in negotiating. So uh, I love and agree with everything with uh with what you said. I feel like why not go to Utah? I mean right now yeah. I hate them. I love to hate them actually. I love to hate Utah. It's it makes things fun, but I respect Utah. I respect yeah. Birmingham. I respect you know, they they definitely have their footprint, and it's very big here in the West uh, for college football. Teams all over the country know of Utah, and to some degree know BYU. But um, I will say one thing. No. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, go. I mean, I think we all hate to see Utah win the Pac-12 again, right? Yeah. We all hate to see them go to another Rose Bowl and see all these annoying Utah Twitter people with the roses in their bios. Like, that's that's <laughs> annoying. But at the same time – and I mean, I'm, I have a soft spot for USC. Like I grew up watching them. I'm, I'm not like a fan or anything. I, I, they're just kind of the iconic brand, like Reggie Bush, Matt Liner. They were so fun to watch. Um, but like, it, it's, it, it was really cool to see Utah beat USC in that PAC 12 title game, because the way college football is moving with the transfer portal and everything, USC kind of just completely restocked their program um, in one off season. They went from four and eight to possibly the national championship. Um, Caleb Williams was great, but the, like they just completely retooled with transfers. It's like free agency in sports. It's like the Cowboys or the Yankees spending as much money as they can and not really giving like the smaller market teams a chance. It's like the anti-money bowl. And yeah. Utah isn't really like the transfer portal destination. I mean, it's it's pretty insane how good Utah has been and the recruits that they've been able to pull to come play in Utah. Like, I mean, like so for for Utah to kind of do it the old school way, like recruiting locally, getting these kind of getting the bigger guys that that are available to them, the local finding the diamond of the rough guys, guys like Dalton Kincaid who are junior college transfers and developing these guys over a long period of time, having like a culture that they've built over years and years and years to have that come in and beat the up and coming like transfer portal culture is it's a win for college football because it shows that you don't have to be in the portal every off season to win. I mean, obviously Utah's had some portal acquisitions, like every school's going to need, but you don't have to rely on the transfer portal. You can build your own program and still have success at the power five level. And so even though I hate that it was Utah that had to prove that point to everybody, but at the same time, it's a win for everybody when the transfer portal loses, I guess. Yeah. And and I think it's a win for us because I watch Utah and like, I, I watch them and I go like, this is something BYU can replicate. Like, it's a doable formula. Um, like, you, because it's like with USC, it's like, we're we're just not going to have, you know, Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison in the portal. You know what I mean? But, like, we can 
get and develop a Utah, like Utah's front seven. Not saying it'll be easy by any means, but it's like, you know, for BYU, I feel like you look at that and you're like, that's a, that's a formula that feels more realistic. And it's nice to be able to see that beat the thing that we're not going to be able to compete in, which is just getting every transfer portal guy known to man. And that, that leads to me kind of wanting to answer or ask another question, but whether this be like just speculation or any knowledge you have, um, I've heard of one particular guy speaking of USC who um, has visited this past weekend. Um, who is your, if you are just like, like crystal balling, who is our quarterback next year? Oh, well, I can confirm. Just for fun. I can confirm that Slovis was in Provo this week. He was at practice. He met with some of the players. He met with coaches. And Provo's high on his list. He wants to come to BYU, or at least it might not be his like end all be all, but like there's interest there. Yeah. Boy, that'd be. I think the funniest outcome would be there's two hilarious outcomes here. One would be Charlie Brewer because he's back in the portal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want Charlie. That though. would that would cause a a meltdown amongst BYU fans. Oh, that would be so funny though. And then my other hilarious outcome is Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. Oh, yeah. Fun. That's yeah. today, right? As of yeah. today. Yeah. As of today. That would be like I don't I almost feel like that's like that has to be the option. Like that has to be that's the most poetic option out there. Because you look at that 2020 season, personally like I don't think BYU would have made the playoff if they had gone 12-0 that year. I don't think it would have been possible. But there's always going to be that what if, you know, and Grayson McCall is partially responsible for that. Mm-hmm. So to have the guy who, I mean, look, he didn't tackle Dax Milton at the one, but still like he was part of the team that kept BYU out of that discussion. Yeah. So to have somebody who kept BYU from possibly the biggest stage it had ever played on, then leading BYU into a power five conference would be just like, so, so poet. as a journalist, that's like, that is music to my ears for content, but in yes. terms of who the actual quarterback would be, I mean, I, I, I like I like what I'm hearing about Slovis. Um, I know a lot of people aren't super high on him, but I think he'd be a fun option. Um, and and you know what, like I, the portal's just so crazy, and I I can't even say like I mean I guess I'll just go with Slovis just because like we know he visited. And you know then there's I, a connection I, there. Yeah, and then Kade Fennigan and Ryder Burton just battle it out for the backup spot. But I think they bring in more than one portal quarterback. I think that's a that's just a done deal. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I and we, we've been talking about Slovis. Um, that actually he's not like obviously he's not Jaron Hall, right? He's mm-hmm. obviously not Zach Wilson, uh, but he's not bad. You know, he has yeah. experience. He has P five experience. Um, I think if you get the right person, hopefully Roderick's that guy um, at developing where he can be a lethal quarterback. I think Slovis would be, would be a good spot. He's also, he's shown he can do it. Yeah. It's happened before, yeah. you know. Wasn't he the quarterback? I was on my mission. He was the quarterback for USC in 2019. Yes. Yeah. When, when BYU was. beat USC, but wasn't yes. he the, was he still the quarterback when USC then beat Utah pretty soon after? I, I was on my mission too. I don't know. I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because he, he was he was the quarterback the whole year. Because JT Daniels. Because, was the quarterback. Yeah, because that was a really good Utah team, and that that USC loss 
along with their Pac-12 loss, Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship loss to Oregon, a spoiled Utah's um, playoff hope. So, yeah, uh, I think Solis would be a good good, uh, good addition. I mean, so what better can we get, right? So, And, and you but, know, you look at – if you look at, like, I guess BYU's independence quarterback era, of, of their, like – Look at like Keaton Slovis versus anybody on that list. The like only Christian guys, Stewart or yeah, like the only guys that are better than Slovis are Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall. You could make a case for Baylor Romney just because like he put up some crazy numbers and like, didn't turn the ball over ever. But like at the end of the day, like I mean, I love Taysom Hill, but Slovis would be a step up from Taysom Hill just because you'd have probably less turnovers, less injuries, more consistent play, a better passer, more polished passer. But aside from Jaron and Zach, Zach was the number two pick in the draft. Jaron, his ceiling was first round pick. I don't think he's going to get there. But I mean, aside from two NFL quarterbacks, nobody else has been better than Slovis. So if Slovis comes to Provo, you, we've been so spoiled with quarterbacks over the past four years. People are going to complain, but I mean, just deal with it. <laughs> you know, exactly. And I see people say it like, like be like, Oh no! Oh, I don't want Slovis when it was sort of getting leaked, and I'm just like, "What's your alternative?" Yeah, you know, like, and also like that's not bad. I mean, I don't. There's definitely a tier. There's like a like a tier one of you know a handful five six quarterbacks. Keaton Slovis is in that like second tier, which oh, is for sure very very good. You know, he's not he's not going to have as much interest as like. Hudson Card or maybe Devin Leary or DJU, DJU, but True like guy. he's he's next. He's after that, very yep. soon after that. And I'm like, I would, that, be, I would be very on board for Drew Pine too. That's a guy I was very impressed with him in Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. Armstrong is one that I like Drew too. Pine, with like UVA yeah, yeah, the call, yeah, the call, yeah. I think is a good option. But yeah. Armstrong would be fun too. And I think. Whoever BYU gets in the portal, and they're going to get multiple guys from the portal, yeah. um, they're not going to end up in Provo by accident. They're going to be in Provo intentionally. Because when you look at it, the end of the day, BYU has put two quarterbacks in the NFL in the past three years. Zach Wilson was the second overall pick. Jaron Hall is probably going to get picked in like the fifth or sixth round, I would say. Um, so Aaron Rodgers has produced two NFL quarterbacks. BYU has a strong offensive line, so they, that quarterback isn't going to get sacked a lot. There's weapons that they have. Isaac Rex might come back, but then you add Chase Roberts, Cody Epps, Keanu Hill. Like they have weapons on offense to throw to. It's it'll be a veteran offensive unit, whoever this quarterback they bring in joins. So it's not like BYU is coming in like this isn't like after the 2020 season when BYU had the least returning production, where it's like, well, we don't really know who you're gonna throw to. Like the the Nakua's are two question marks, and we you know, like there's, we're replacing all our starters on the line. We have good That's cool. And that was like it. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It turns into, you're, you're, it's, it's like a plug and play. Like, okay, you're almost guaranteed 25 passing touchdowns and you're almost guaranteed to only get sacked once a game. And because of the emphasis on ball security and play calling, you probably won't turn the ball over more than five or six times a year. So, I mean, lo- looking at it like that, like BYU is a really intriguing destination for for quarterbacks to play in, and so it's not like what like a Smith Snowden at the high school level choosing between BYU and Utah 
Utah wins Pac-12. They go to the Rose Bowl, and they put a bunch of defensive backs in the NFL. I love Daniel Sorensen, but if Daniel Sorensen is who you're clinging to as your defensive back product, you're kind of screwed. Obviously, Michael Davis is really good too, but that's kind of a flash in the pan. Like that, that's Michael Davis is a very rare breed, especially considering he played linebacker at BYU and is now a defensive back. So Utah like has this tradition of defensive back excellence. So obviously, it makes sense for Smith Snowden to go there. But then BYU has the tradition of quarterback excellence and not just in the 1980s and 90s, like now, like quarterback is a big deal at BYU and BYU has the tools to be a really good quarterback school still. And so that's such an intriguing option for all these transfer portal quarterbacks that come in. And so I think a lot of these players are maybe not a lot of them, but a good number of these high end passers. I mean, Slovis was in Provo, like, uh, DJU yeah. probably isn't going to scoff at BYU. Like these are guys who are going to look at BYU and see it as a viable option, whether they end up here or not. And so that, that that's encouraging. And I think BYU is going to get knowing that quarterback is the biggest look. I, I know I'm rambling on, but Jacob Conover entered the portal as soon as he could for a reason, because he knew that the biggest offseason need that BYU was going to have was quarterback and they were going to do whatever it took to get one. And so whoever they get is going to be somebody who intentionally chose BYU. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll pick BYU. And it's going to be somebody that BYU aggressively pursued. And that should bring a lot of comfort for fans. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Conover is where ASU now. So yeah. we'll see. Hopefully he, hopefully he gets – I'd like, I'd like to see him. Yeah, yeah and succeed. And it became obvious it wasn't going to happen here. So, yeah. I, you know, I'd love to see him be successful. He was a team guy stuff. here, too. He, he, he played, seemed like a really good dude. He played his role. Like as dude, yeah. He, he played his role. Well, too, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. speaking of quarterbacks, and maybe we'll wrap up with this, uh, we'll go more NFL. Um, let's, has that girl ever texted you back? Your Taylor Heineke girl? <laughs> she ever texted you back? <laughs> oh, man. So, I was actually – um uh-huh. so that was so I, I took that girl out go. when i was before you go hold on before you go let me add some context yeah, yeah, yeah. i i can't it's i don't have the tweet pulled up but this was kind of my introduction to jackson Payne, ladies and gentlemen was i saw my twitter feed a tweet from jackson Payne that said something along the lines of oh i just went on a date with this girl and i just she asked me about football or whatever i i went on a little tangent a little 10 minute tangent about taylor heineke and how he's progressed uh, and his role at the uh, at the nfl level with the washington commanders enter 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 space 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 she still has not texted me back yet <laughs> i thought that was so funny because i can relate to that on so many levels where a girl's like oh you like sports i'm like yeah but you don't get it. it's like my personality i yeah <laughs> this one girl asked me about basketball i probably went on some 10 minute thing about off ball screens and all the different <laughs> things you could do and she had zero idea what i was talking about so i could just relate to that on so many levels yeah. so all right what's the story there she texted me yeah. back and we'll talk taylor Heineke and then the commanders and nfl I, I like what you said about off ball screens if you ever want like a really good youtube watch look up bill belichick on left-footed punters like the patriots always the patriots punter is always left-footed and somebody asked him about that in a press conference and i swear he just popped off and that's the thing is like when you're a guy, you just pick like one or two things about sports that just become like your thing. And you could talk about that forever. And for me, Taylor Heineke is one of those things. Cause like, look, I'm, I'm, you guys know, I mean, you guys are close enough to DC to know like the Redskins football team commanders, whatever you're going to call them have like the worst quarterback tradition ever since in the past 30 years. 
And so I Joe Theismann, maybe. I mean, they they won the Super Bowl with Rippin in '91, and like, but he wasn't any that one year. (laughs) He wasn't anything like they've never had like a a true like elite quarterback aside from like Theismann, but that was a different era. And so, like, to to have like to just I mean, RG three was supposed to be the savior, you know. He tears his ACL. That goes as sour as it can go. Kirk Cousins comes in. Kirk was a great option, and the team just kind of overthought it and screwed that up. You trade for Alex Smith. Alex Smith freaking dies. <laughs> like you, you try to bring in Carson Wentz. As good as you could have expected, I feel like. And, yeah, and that's the thing. Like Alex Smith, that, that should have been a home run of of an acquisition, and yet just that's just the luck of the draw for this stupid team. Is <laughs> their quarterbacks get they come here and they freaking die, <laughs> and then Carson Wentz shows up, and Carson Wentz is just atrocious at football. <laughs> And so it's it's kind of cool that like Taylor Heineke has come from like being the undrafted XFL guy sleeping on his sister's couch to being like the emergency quarterback to just always getting thrust into like the starting job and, and somehow like continues to win games like he's he's an inspiration like he's he's this great underdog story and you can't dislike him. So anyway, it's kind of going back. So I was on a date with this girl. And this was actually I was home. This is about two months ago. I was home because BYU is playing at Liberty. So I came home for the week, went to the game. But I also had a media credential, and I reported at the Commanders game the next day. They were playing the Packers. And so since Dax Milne is on the Commanders, I'm with the BYU student newspaper. They let me in. So I got to interview Dax. I got to be in the press box in the NFL game. That was pretty cool. So, And that was the first game Heineke had started after Wentz got hurt. And Heineke beat Aaron Rodgers. And it was just this I – mean, I was just so stoked because I loved Heineke last year. Like, he just has this great, like – he almost beat Tom Brady in a playoff game. He was so fun to watch last year. And then he beats the two-time defending MVP. It's like, holy crap, like, he's him, you know? Like, <laughs> Taylor, uh, Heine him, Heine goat, whatever you call him. And so <laughs> I'm on this date with this girl. I she She's, like, going to school out. She's a member of the church. She's going to school out here. I think my mom set me up with her. Really cool girl. And she's asking me about sports. And she's like, oh, I saw you at the NFL game. And so I just kind of pop off. I give like the oral history of Taylor Heineke. Like <laughs> if there was a 30 for 30 about this guy, I, I think I just like word vomited the script. So, and it was just like, and like, I mean, I'm I'm not like, I'm not going to brag or anything, but like, I'm a pretty good public speaker. Like I, I, I made it interesting. Like I added the passion, the emotion that you need. Like I, I made, I made you like, I made her understand like, this was no laughing matter. Like this was a city like, starved for quarterback. <laughs> this was this is a city starved for quarterback competence, and he was the answer when no one expected it, arising from the ashes. Just like you know, all this stuff. How funny is like just the great American underdog, whatever. And she's like, "Wow, that's that's so great." Yeah, like, and the thing is, like, <laughs> she all she wanted to talk about was like international relations boring i'm trying to talk about taylor freaking heineke bro (laughs) so then afterwards i i texted her it it took so i did get a text back but it was like very delayed yeah and then i went to ysa yesterday in dc and she was there and she like low-key avoided me and so i got like oh hey like and then an obvious uh post route out of there yeah (laughs) You know, if, if, look, if I have to choose between like beautiful girl and Taylor Heineke, I'm going with my boy four every time. I mean, it's, he, he's a him. Uh, he's Himothy. Yeah. No, that's, that's so funny. Uh, again, I can, I can relate in so many ways where 
Yeah, I'll go on the tangent. The girl is just, wow, that's um, that's great. Wow, that's great. <laughs> um, let's talk about something else. Yeah. So anyway, that's um. So I know you've already touched on it a little bit. Maybe we'll have Ben talk a little Lions. I'm by by nature a Chargers fan. Uh, it's my it's one of my dad's favorite team is He's close from, to as poverty as Jackson. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like Chargers just should be good, but just aren't. Um. But they're also not bad. But right, they're not bad, but yet they're always injured. It's a weird dynamic there. We got a clutch. You got your social media quarterback. I mean, you're set. Oh my yeah. gosh, that, I mean, that was a he looked he looked so good last night. Like, if did. you don't think Justin Herbert's a top five quarterback in the NFL, get drug tested because like that's that's the reality. Yeah. So and I, it's and that's what good quarterback play will get you. So if you're a Commanders fan. <laughs> Uh, or a Lions fan, even for that matter. Even if you have a good quarterback, uh, the, they'll the luck that the the luck that the Chargers have will somehow um, find its way elsewhere. So, yeah. like that play where uh, literally the Chargers strips the ball. It was a fumble, and, and Tyree Kill just like Tyree, Tyree Kill gets it somehow, just the fastest guy in the NFL. And just scores a touchdown. It's just Chargers luck right there. So I, I just feel bad for any Tyreek Hill fantasy owners because I guarantee that every league – I guarantee that there's not a single league in the country that has, like, the setting for fumble recovery, like, offensive fumble recovery touchdowns. Yeah. Like, so he does that insane thing and you don't even get any points for it. But, I uh, mean, it's it, – the, the Chargers – the Chargers are I'm, – I'm, like – I've gotten into Chargers over the years as well, just because like I have a bunch of buddies from San Diego, so they're all Chargers fans, and I love watching Philip Rivers. I love watching Justin Herbert. Like that's a team that just like I don't know what it is, but they just hit on their guys that they draft on the at the offensive level. Like you look at Justin Herbert, you look at Mike Williams, and you look at Keenan Allen. Like they just they're really good at scouting those offensive players, and for whatever reason, until a few years, until like the past few years, drafting like Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson uh brian robinson like the commanders just never did that either so it's uh it's fun to watch and then you got the lions of course i mean best offensive team in in, in the league at question mark like or, can, can anyone stop the lions no they cannot <laughs> so let's let's kind of go off that so all three of our teams right now plus uh i like the jets Zach wilson try to keep up with them all these teams what's the playoff race looking like what's the what's the hunt what's was going to go down. Commanders have a chance in theory, right? Um, I think. I think Detroit be, definitely does. Yeah, no, but like Commanders definitely have a better chance than Detroit. Like, I'd be surprised if Washington did not. Just so, look at Seattle and the Giants are going. I'm convinced those teams actually stink, but they seemed good. Um, but yeah, I, I think Washington certainly is it, in my opinion. Okay, but, so we got Washington. Yeah, yeah. What about? Yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk about unpack that. Yeah. Well, yesterday was probably the most productive Sunday that the Commanders have had all season, and they didn't even play. They're on their bye week, so they don't play yesterday. They they open the day as the eight seed in the NFC, so they're one spot out of the playoffs, and they end the day as the six seed because the Giants lost, so the Giants so they leapfrog the Giants, and then the Seahawks lost, so the Seahawks fell out of the playoff picture as well. So the Commanders are now the six seed. And now no matter what happens, they play the Giants for Sunday Night Football this week. Um, no matter what happens in that game, because they're the two last wildcard spots, no matter what happens, so either team could win or either team could lose, but both teams will still be in the playoff picture. They'll still be in the playoff 
bracket as it if the season were to end, which is kind of unique, especially considering the circumstances. But I think I was doing some some odds last night on five thirty eight, and so the commander started one and four. I was in Vegas. It was the day after the Notre Dame game, so I'm in Vegas watching at a casino in in the sports book. Mm-hmm. Um, commanders are playing the Titans. They're down twenty sixteen or something like that. Um, and Carson Wentz is leading them down the field. He has them on like the three yard line. If they score, they win. Like it's they ne- absolutely need the win. If they lose, they're one and four, and the season's over. And he throws a freaking pick because he's Carson Wentz and he sucks at football. And <laughs> so the Commanders are they start one and four, and their playoff odds were five percent, which is just atrocious. And now a month late, well, about two months later, the Commanders' playoff odds are seventy three percent. So. They, right. At one point, their playoff odds were 5%. And so of, like, the wild card teams in the AFC, they have the highest playoff odds except for, like, the in the NFC, they have the highest playoff odds except for, like, the Cowboys. So, like, I think the Seahawks are 55%, the Lions are 26%, and then the Giants are, like, 41%. So the Commanders, like, with their strength of schedule, like, they're getting hot at the right time. They play a really unique brand of football that's pretty hard to beat with just ball security, and, and their defense is really good, and Chase Young is going to come back. So I think the commanders are like locked into that seven or the six seed. So I would just like, if if I was a betting man, I put all my money on the commanders making the playoffs. Like I'm just, and that's, and that's as like a very depressed commanders fan. <laughs> like I, yeah. the, you can tell that this is different. Like maybe, I mean, I, I feel like this is the one team that they've had in my lifetime that could actually go into the playoffs and win a game just because of their defense. But at the same time, like I'm going to be realistic and being realistic, I think they're going to make the playoffs. And then you look at the Seahawks. Look, the Seahawks are no good. They haven't been good all year. Geno Smith is Geno Smith is doing what Nick Foles did that one year, where like it, when he threw like twenty eight touchdowns and two picks, where he just had this ridiculous year because like no one really had film on him. Like no one really knows anything about Geno Smith. And finally, like you're gonna put some pressure on him. You saw what happened with Carolina. He just threw three picks against Carolina. That's not a playoff quarterback. That's not a playoff team. Uh, I I think the Seahawks just can, can be written off completely. I, I think the Giants stink as well. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're worse. I think, I think they like, they're, they're not good. I just think they have a fantastic coach. Yeah. I mean, Dable's done a really good job. there, kind of changing the culture and Daniel Jones isn't as bad as people think, but like, he's still limited. He's not good. I don't think, Saqu- I don't think Saquon's that good. I think their defense blows. I don't think they have any receiving threats. Like the Giants, I, the, the Seahawks probably make it over the Giants. Yeah. But I, I don't think either they make it because like I'm actually I'm a big believer in the Detroit Lions. I think they're just it's I was looking at their schedule and I was like, this team could actually finish with 10 wins. Like it, it's kind of unreal. It's they're really hard to stop. They're just they have so many different ways that they can hurt you on offense. Jameson Williams just showed up, played limited snaps, but had the most wide open touchdown I've ever seen yesterday. Yeah. Um so I, I think it's gonna be Washington. Your your NFC wild cards are going to be the Cowboys, Washington, and Detroit. I think New York is done for, and I think the Seahawks are done for. As 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 fun of a story as Geno Smith has been, I think the 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 honeymoon's over. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I, anyway, I I gotta get going here pretty soon. I uh I, I got um FHE, not anything oh. life related. As and if, uh, if Saul Jackson thing on Twitter, then and that tweet would hit, but or that joke would hit. But um, any last thoughts here, Jackson, uh, for us? Uh, I think it's safe to say that we'll we'll see you back on here pretty soon. Maybe hopefully in person, maybe with like 
you know, you can come to our studio. Um, oh boy. Talk shop. Yeah. We'll talk, <laughs> yeah. Our studio, which is also, uh, actually, no, we're not going to tell the, the listeners what it is, but no. Oh, hey, any, any last thoughts for us here? <laughs> Man, I mean, I'm always, always down to come on. Always great to talk sports with you guys. Um, bowl game this week is going to be interesting. I don't think Jaron Hall plays. I think you're going to see Cade Finnegan start at quarterback. Ooh, so that's kind of that's, inside. It's also not the worst thing in the world. Cade's, Cade's pretty good. Like we haven't seen a ton of him, but like he's, he's no slouch, but at the same time having Jaron Hall would clearly be better, but it's going to be a track meet. There's going to be a lot of points scored. So even if BYU gets just curb stomped, it'll be, it'll be an entertaining game. You, you SMU's fun to watch. It'll be fun to see Cade. Cade plays a pretty fun brand of football. So, I mean, bowl game is going to be interesting and, you know, BYU basketball, buy, buy stock on Richie Saunders now. So right. there you go. Love we'll, it. we'll buy it now. Jackson. Go Lions. <laughs> Sir, go, go, go Commanders. Le- left hand go up, right. baby. There right, we go. There we go. Bring this together. <laughs> and the Chargers will just be, it'll be like the Squidward and SpongeBob and Patrick meme where Squidward's like looking out the window. No, no, no. Uh, I, I think the Chargers are in. The thing, okay, the problem with the Chargers though is that the Chargers were in the NFC. They'd make the playoffs like so easily, I think. Yeah. Like they'd be where the Cowboys are. I mean, the Cowboys are better than the Chargers, but like the Cowboys are just like in the playoffs and no one's going to bat an eye. That's what the Chargers would be in the NFC. And the problem is the AFC is just so crazy stacked this year for literally no reason. So I wouldn't write the Chargers off, but it's going to be a harder road than maybe the Lions or the, the Commanders. So we'll see. Sorry. Justin Herbert is him. That's just yeah. I um that I just have to prepare myself mentally for for the that. Chargers will make the playoffs before the Jets do. That's my I don't believe in the Jets anymore. I, I hope so, but anyway, well, um, we'll we'll leave you we'll leave you here, Jackson, and yeah. uh, until next time. Thanks for listening to BNT Talk Sports.